reto. Sometimes we feel alone. It's wonderful to know that he doesn't forget us. He's with us. We are in the book of Mark, chapter 8 tonight. We'll read verses 34 through 38. Um, titled the message, Defining a Disciple. Mark 8, 34 through the end there, verse 38. Ask when you find that if you'll stand in God's honor. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. That we might dig deeper into the meaning of a disciple. What it really means to follow you. Uh, Thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll say a quick word before I forget too. Next Sunday night, Steve Dill is going to be here, the missionary, sharing about the work that they're doing over in the Philippines. So it should be a real blessing. Looking forward to that as well. And, of course, looking forward to seeing Donald and being together. and Invite some people. I'm going to probably use Facebook and send out some, try to send out some letters, too, to some. If you can think of some people, I'd appreciate it to invite that we hadn't seen in a while or people we can get to come be a blessing. It's interesting as you look in Mark chapter 8 here. The chapter starts out... There's a large crowd. They're following Jesus. And in verse 3 it says, If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So the disciples ask, Well, where are we going to get enough food to feed these people? And we know what happens. Jesus comes through because he is Lord of all. And he provides this food that is needed for this great crowd. And anyway, what caught my attention, uh, the crowd eats the food, and it takes just a few small fish and just a little bit of bread. The whole crowd is fed. Verse 8, it says, The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. So he had fed this great crowd and what spoke to my heart as I looked at scripture it says they ate and they were satisfied and at the moment what they thought of what they thought was their greatest needs was the ache of their bellies that immediate need of a hungry stomach and yet what they needed was so much deeper than that and Jesus wanted to give them so much more than just meeting the need of the moment and, you know, someone has said that 
God's greatest work is twofold. He comes to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And it is so easy for us to be satisfied. And we should have a peace. But we should also have a hunger. A hunger to know him. A hunger to follow him. A hunger to grow in him. You know, there's the old joke of the guy that's, you know, the pastor standing at the door and people are coming out and he sees this one guy. He says, oh, we've missed you at church. He says, man, you need to join the Lord's army. He said, I am in the Lord's army. He said, well, I only see you at Christmas and Easter. He said, well, I serve in the secret service. Yeah, but the truth of the matter is, in Christ, we're not called to put the light under a bushel, right? We're called to put it up on the hill, to be belong to Jesus so that other people can see his light. We reflect his light. We're not the light, but we're called to reflect that light because he's the one that's brought us from death to life, from slavery to freedom, and from a victim to victory that's that's what christ does as he sets us free as he works within us uh, for his glory you know as you look at the great commandment he says go ye therefore and make disciples we're called to make disciples and then he explains what that means he says baptizing them in the name of, of the father son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you the picture of baptism is one of identification. You're saying, I, I want my name to be identified with Jesus. I want my life to be identified with Jesus. I want people, as they get to know me, see Jesus. That's the picture of baptism. Going under the water, dying to that old way of life, coming up a new person. And now, you know, I want to reflect Christ. And as that happens in our lives then we're able to teach what he has commanded. That second part of, of the great commandment of going out in that deeper walk. And, and I want to just look at this scripture tonight. It, it's just uh, such a great scripture. And someone has said there's a difference between growing old in the Lord and growing up in the Lord. We can be a Christian for 70, 80 years, but that doesn't necessarily mean we grow up in the Lord. We might stay immature. And to be honest with you, I'm so humbled, especially when I read about what's going on all over the world. And some of our fellow believers who suffer, I had heard just recently this week, remember the uh, Coptic Christians who were beheaded? Well, what I heard was that when they were on their knees and they were getting ready to you know, chop their heads off, they were singing hymns. Man. You know, and I, of course, I think about how wimpy my faith feels when I, when I grasp that. But they seem to have a connection through the suffering of the scripture we're going to look at tonight and how God works. They've grasped that beautiful hymn, you know, that, that we love so much. Jesus paid it all, all the hymn I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. They grasp that and they live out of that power. First John 2, 6, simple verse, but it says, 
Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's not enough to make the claims. We've got to walk. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Um, with that in mind, uh, let's look at our text. And First thing I want us to notice here in Mark eight thirty four. Then he called the crowd with him along with his disciples. I want to notice that because it mentions the disciples, the ones that walked with him, the ones that lived with him. I remember one book I read, I, I used this phrase because I like the way it sounds. They roomed and roamed with the master. It just sounds so preacher-esque. You know? Roomed and roamed with the master. But he's not just talking about those 12. He's looking out at the crowd. And so it's an invitation. Not just to the 12. It's an invitation to anyone who can hear. To anyone who is in the position where they hear Jesus. They hear his call. They hear his voice. And and so this message was not just merely to the 12. It's to any of those who hear the call. To any of those who place themselves in a position where their hearts and their ears are ready to hear from God. Um, that is just so critical of what he wants to do in our lives. Um, it's a call to anybody. And, and so let's just look at the call. Uh, he starts out here. If anyone would come after me. So here he comes with the rules. He must deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. And, and that's what I want tonight. I want to look at these three different truths. The, the first one, he must deny himself. When he says deny himself, it's more than just giving something up. You know, around Lent, we have the, hey, we can have the idea of giving up something. You know, maybe it's a favorite TV show. Maybe it's a favorite food. Uh, maybe it's sports. Something we enjoy. We're going to give that up for Christ for a season. But this is more than just giving up something. This is about giving up self for Christ. It's more than no more brownies. And I I remember years ago I had preached a message on temptation. And I was painting this picture of brownies. And I had two or three people make me brownies and bring them over the house. One guy brought a gallon of milk. I must have painted a pretty good picture there. Uh, but, But this is more than that. This is a... This is a picture of where God does a work in our hearts. I want to read this quote from Ray Steadman. The word deny means to disavow any connection with something. To state that you are not connected in any way with whatever is in view. Interestingly enough, it's the very word used to refer to Peter's denial of Jesus a little later on. Jesus, you remember Peter, he said, Lord, I'll never deny you. We know what happened. What did he eat those words? Talk about eating crow. He ate a whole flock. Uh, he denied Christ. This word was used. It, it was a, a picture of his weakness. He had made an oath. It wasn't giving up luxuries. It wasn't giving up even necessities. It, it's about saying no to self. He was afraid. Um, And the call is that we give up our right to call the shots, our right to make the decisions, to run our own lives. We don't have that final vote of where we go and that final vote 
what we say. This is what Jesus is talking about. Um, one Christian businessman by the name of uh, Howard Budd, he wrote this uh, little booklet called The Art of Being a Big Shot. I mean, can't help but kind of like that name, The Art of Being a Big Shot. And in his book, he, I want to read these words that he wrote. So true. He said, it's my pride that makes me independent of God. It's appealing to me to feel that I'm the master of my fate, that I run my own life, call my own shots, go it alone. But that feeling is my basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I have to get help from other people, and I can't ultimately rely on myself. I'm dependent on God for my very next breath. Isn't that true? It is dishonest of me to pretend that I'm anything but a man, small, weak, and limited. So living independent of God is a self-delusion. It's not just a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. It's my inner psychological integrity that's at stake. When I'm conceited, I'm lying to myself about what I am. I'm pretending to be God, not a mere man. My pride is the idolatrous worship of myself, and that's the national religion of hell. Now, we're called to deny self. Secondly, not only called to deny self, but he says, take up your cross. So often when we think of this terminology of take up your cross, we think of a particular struggle that we have. Um, you know, maybe it's a financial struggle. We wonder, where in the world is this money going to come from? Okay. And I have seen God, as you have too, on a couple occasions, just surprise me with meeting a need. And working in ways I don't expect that he brings money. Uh, it's amazing. Or a health issue. Man, I hate to see people who are sick. And I have through the years grown to hate that word cancer. As I have seen so many people who have struggled through cancer. Or, you know, a relationship that causes your stomach to churn. You know, Proverbs seventeen seventeen says... A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Man, there is trouble out there. And in John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says these words that we've heard so many times. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Um, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. Right? I've overcome the world. But the cross was something different than just a personal struggle that's mentioned here the cross for jesus was a point of humiliation it was a point where he was demeaned and he was debased it was a point where he was innocent and yet he took crimes upon himself and it's at that point that we take the cross it's where those circumstances and events in our experience humble us, expose us, offend our pride, shame us, reveal our basic evil, and show the fact of how we need God, how it brings that out. Um, we're called to take up the cross, to accept it, to glory, and to cling to it because there's something in it that transforms our lives. It reduces us to the place where we're ready to receive God's gift and to know His Son and to grow in that. One writer uh, in talking about this. said, this is not just the big things. This is those things that are every day. He writes. Uh, 
Do you feel hurt when someone forgets your name? Do you get upset when a cashier will not cash your check? Does criticism hurt even when you know it is justified? Are you rankled when you lose a golf game or cornhole? (laughs) All those are... I added the cornhole, by the way. All these are minor forms of the cross at work in our lives. The natural thing is for us to become upset. The supernatural thing is for us to endure for Christ's sake. I love Romans 8, um, 8 to 11. And uh, he says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So unless we beg out to God to fill us with his spirit that we might submit and and walk in his way. We can't please God. We stumble. We're not able to do what is beyond us. It takes God in us to do that work, to point to Christ. So he says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, He does not belong to Christ. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And that spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. That that, that work in you through Christ. That's where the cross, it it transforms us uh, in that power. To live for him and his spirit. And then this third step. He says the third step. It's obedience. He says to follow me. You know like. uh, Someone had said. It's not the ten suggestions. It's the ten commandments. And following Jesus. It's not opinion. It's not suggestion. He's the master. I'm the servant. He's the teacher. I'm the student. I don't argue with him. I learn to follow him. And that's the call. I think of that picture of uh, that ends Matthew 7. Where he says the wise man, he builds his house on a rock. So that when the storms come, the house stands. But the foolish person, he builds his house on a foundation of sand. And it collapses. And that rock is Jesus Christ himself. We build our lives on Christ. Because he's the solid rock, as the song says. Listen to it. This is in the message, which is a paraphrase that uses our modern language. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down. The river flooded. A tornado hit. Nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a deck of cards. We're called to build a house on Christ, to build our lives on Christ. Now, it's also interesting when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, that's in the present participle, and it's continuous tense, so it could be said this way, 
Keep on denying yourself. Keep on taking up your cross. Keep on following me. This is not a decision of a moment. It's a lifetime. It's the work of a lifetime. We're called to start each day that way. We're called to keep on denying self. We're called to keep on taking the cross. We're, we're, we're called to keep on following him. This is the call of each day. And that's where discipleship comes in. It's that call to follow. Um, matter of fact, he says, you know, that's what really matters is eternity. He says, forever who wants to save his life, verse 35, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for this gospel will save it. As crazy as that sounds, that's where the truth is found. In being lost in the one that is alive. Verse 36 says it well. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? Yet forfeit his soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, years ago they dug up the grave of Charlemagne. The ruler of France. And um, in another generation. And he was a very wealthy man, but what was interesting was when they dug into his grave, they saw some of the treasures back from his kingdom. But when they came to his throne, he was a skeleton sitting on the throne, and in his lap was a Bible. And his bony finger was pointed to Mark eight thirty six, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? I mean, in the end, what lasts? God and people, his word. And when that, everything else, you know, as God talks about everything else, man, it rots away, it corrodes. As, it's, as, as Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't last, but God does last. And so we can trust him. And then he closes by... Uh, a verse that I think is very convicting. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Sometimes I just pray, God, give me some courage. Proverbs 20, verse 1, I learned years ago. And, and it says, um, The wicked man flees, though no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I think sometimes, Lord, I just feel like a kitty cat, you know. Give me some lion courage. It's so easy just to run out at the first sign of tough times. God, give me a boldness that's new. I don't want to be ashamed of you, Lord. And we certainly don't want to enter his presence and him say, I love you, you're getting in, but man, you blew it. I want to close these words from Mere Christianity. Boy, so many people have quoted Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. What a powerful thinker and writer. Uh, but listen to these words as I close. God is going to invade this earth in force. But what is the good of saying you're on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something it never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left 
For this time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There's no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we've really chosen. Whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Let's pray. Father, each of us must do a heart check. I thank you that your grace is more than sufficient. It's amazing grace. It saves us. It empowers us. And Father, you know us where we are. Father, do a work in us. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Father, that we may stand for you. Not to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. But Father, just to love you and to love other people. Give us that God strength that's yours. And Father, um, help us tonight as we've looked at what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple according to your words. And what's it going to profit us if we gain this world but lose our soul? And Father, do a work in us for your glory. And I pray that you just wake us all up, including me, in, air, in places where we may be asleep. Um, we need you, Lord, and thank you for your work. In Christ's name we pray.